0: This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Matriarch Movement podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very excited to be speaking with Fallon Johnson here today. She is Mohawk and from the Bear Clan from Six Nations Grand River Territory. Not only that, but she is a writer, a podcaster, and a radio host. She currently hosts The Secret Life of Canada on CBC Podcasts, and she also hosts The Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, she's also written for APTN, she's also received a Dora nomination, she is very inspiring and it was nice to touch base regarding what it's like behind the scenes podcasting also taking up space in colonial places and i felt like this conversation really shifted my perspective on how much more i even have to learn about the history here in canada and the united states so without further ado uh Fallen johnson hi hi I'm very excited to have Phelan Johnson with me here today. If you just want to introduce yourself, where you're from, a little bit about you, uh, thank you so much for being here.
0: Hi, Shayla. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Phelan Johnson. I'm from Six Nations Reserve. Um, I identify as Mohawk and Tuscarora, um, which is sort of an untraditional way of identifying as my, my people are matrilineal, but I like to hold my grandfather's nation close to me and he was Tuscarora. So I always kind of keep that piece of the identity, the family identity close. Um, I'm currently in Montreal um, and I uh, am a playwright, but I also work in audio. Uh, I have a podcast called The Secret Life of Canada and I am also hosting Unreserved on CBC Radio One.
1: That's awesome. And I I was just looking at both the shows and I still have yet to listen to them. So could you tell our viewers a little bit about each podcast and why it's important for these stories to be told and shared yeah. right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I, I feel like I really stumbled into audio work. Um, my background is not in audio at all. Um, I went to theater school and so... I trained to be an actor. <laughs> um, I went to George Brown Theatre School in Toronto, and it's a three-year conservatory-style program. So it was really rigorous, really difficult, taught me a lot of work ethic, but my training was never in audio. So, you know, when I graduated from school, I went and I, you know, I did some acting gigs. I started writing for theatre. Um, and then one day my friend, Leah Simone and she was like, we should start a podcast. And um, and I was like, okay, sure, why not? Like, I'm not doing anything. Um you know, I think one thing that, that really blew me away when I was working on the podcast was we did an episode on the Indian Act. And one thing that I learned was that, you know, the Indian Department, that was sort of the foundations of the Indian Act, that was started as um, in sort of a in sort of a defense sector of the Canadian government because we mm-hmm. were allies, because it, all our relationships were based on allyship and on fighting alongside one another and war um, and maintaining borders. And so I feel like we really like that piece of history is really, um, is unknown and not discussed enough. And I feel like, you know, Mm. those, those people back in the day understood the relationship. They, they understood the relationship and the value, um, and, and all of our contributions our people's contributions to this place. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not, it's not honored. It's not honored. Um, you know, it's, it needs it needs to be known
1: Well, we often hear like the one side of the perspective, the colonial perspective, and it really lacks like the other side of it. And I have to say, even for me, you know, I know a lot about like the Indian Act, but like prior to that, I don't have a lot of knowledge of how we did live just through like word of mouth. And so I'm curious to know like how are ways that we as indigenous people can learn more about our history prior to colonization and prior to the Indian Act?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The resources do exist, you know, I mean, and there is there. There will always be that pushback, which is something I come up against when working on the podcast is pushing up against what are considered, you know, like sources, traditional, like, you know, sort of Western sense sources. So like in academia. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. we you know, you have you have to take the oral history. We have to and we have to value it and we have to be able to to list those sources and list those voices as reputable um, and and because I feel like, you know, and I, I do this because we do references for each episode of the podcast because we want to be undeniable and we want to say this is true, this happened, here's where you can look mm-hmm. and so in those resources, sometimes what I find I do is I'll slip like an elder's website in there and it'll uh. be... You know, not super slick. It'll have uh, like a MIDI file that'll start playing as soon as you click the <laughs> thing. You know, you know, a wolf cry, <laughs> um, and it doesn't look super sophisticated or like what somebody who you know values more of a Western idea of 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 knowledge and and history. But for me, I'm like, then the, that's where the information is. The information exists there, and, right. and so I'll put it in my resources to just. kind of, that's my, that's my, like, small way of challenging what we think is, like, where we think we can get our sources from. We yeah. know the stories. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we know. We know. Before Canada was here, we knew. We, we were here, and we, those stories are still so close to us, you know. We haven't forgotten. We remember. We just have to, you know. Sometimes I think it's as simple as looking at a map, too. You know, if you look at a map and you look at where the land lays and how the land lays, you can tell where important places were and why settlement happened where it did settlement prior to settlers like we were we stayed in places that made sense
1: yeah well i think i just even caught something that i was doing it's like I'm so used to looking at life sometimes through a Western lens of like, it's only validated if it has a source or a connection, but like the oral tradition and these stories live within us. And why is it that we hold one on a hierarchy, and then we dismiss the other? And so do you think that it is changing now or like do you think that we st- we obviously still have a lot more work to do but what are ways that we can progress and also hold like knowledge keepers to uh, the same standard we hold like professors and all all these other people in western um because if you think of the western society it's like kind of a baby in comparison to our knowledge keepers and our elders
0: absolutely absolutely i think you know one of the things that i found like this This past season of the podcast was, you know, during the pandemic was particularly challenging for all of the reasons that lots of things were challenging. But one thing that I, I had we had time was we we just had a bit more time to sit with things. We gave ourselves permission to take a bit more time to look at these giant ideas and really examine um, what they you know, what this history was. And one of the biggest episodes, the biggest episode that I worked on, it was a two-parter this season, was on Expo 67 and the Indian Pavilion at Expo 67 in Montreal. It was actually called the Indians of Canada Pavilion, but it's just real hard for me to say those words. (laughs) Um, But it was a product of its time, right? So Expo 67 was celebrating Canada's centennial. It was this big giant party, a bunch of, you know, different countries came to Montreal and they all had pavilions. And there was a, the Indians of Canada Pavilion was a pavilion um, that was the first of its kind in a lot of ways. Um, Indigenous people got to call the shots on what was going to be inside that pavilion, how it was going to be put together. Mm. Um, Indian Affairs had its hands all over it, but there was also Indigenous people working in Indian Affairs. So... There was this thing that happened where where a lot of the people who were the organizers, the Indigenous people, who were the organizers. Really, got to call the shots and do some really challenging things um, mm. and shift the history. I think it, it was a huge moment, not just for Indigenous history but also Indigenous art history. You know, you had people, um, you had people like Norvell Morceau, who mm. was painting murals at the at Expo sixty seven, actually he was commissioned. They didn't like um, they didn't like his work. They found it too um, too controversial. Um, I think it was a, a like a bear breastfeeding, mm. um, and so they wanted to they wanted to alter it. And so he quit. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And somebody had to come in and alter his work.
1: Oh, um, interesting. You had
0: these text panels inside. They had this, like, they had, exi- like, sort of mini-exhibitions throughout the space, and each different, each different room or section told a different part of the story of Indigenous people in Canada, pri- like, from prior to contact to where they were sitting in 1967 during the time of Expo. So they talked about residential schools. Mm. They said things, like, the Christian way of life, like, destroyed us mm-hmm. and destroyed us as people. And, like, it was, you know, all the world... Anybody who wanted to go through that pavilion went through that pavilion and received a very different message of Canada, mm-hmm. which I think was such a huge moment because during the centennial, it was very much like Canada wanted to be like, hello, we are Canada. Like we are maple syrup. Yeah, we are Canadian <laughs> bacon. We are hockey. We are friendly. We say I'm sorry too much. And that's not the story. That's not the full story. And so there were a lot of people who walked through that pavilion who were absolutely shocked mm-hmm. including the queen who had to be ushered out.
1: Oh. Because wow. she had to be
0: confronted with giant images of treaties. Yeah. That her ancestors had signed. Exactly. And so those those stories like for finding those stories it was not like I had to I did look I had to look at academic papers but I also spoke to people whose parents worked there. Mm. I spoke to people and I spoke to people who who worked in the building, who are still alive. Like, the history, it feels very far. But I find if you just ask your family, like, a lot of the time, I'll just, like, ask my family. I'll be like, have you ever heard of this? Yeah. yeah. And and that goes for non-Indigenous people, too, right? indigenous yeah, exactly. people, Just ask your family. It's, you know, those voices aren't around forever.
1: You yeah. Listen now. Well, I think, like, you just brought up a good point of, like, now when history presents itself in a true authentic way you can't really run away from it like you're saying the queen just like had to walk out because she was confronted with the reality that we face here as indigenous people and she was a part of that and so now I feel like Canadians are again going through a waking up process with the graves of indigenous children currently being found and so what do you hope for? Do you have hope for the future for um, relationship between ind- Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people? What do you think that's what do you think about everything that is currently happening within uh, Canada right now?
0: It is it is such an interesting moment. Um, I think. I, you know, we recorded an episode of Unreserved where we we talked about this. It was an episode we were doing on Hidden Histories always always with the history of me, um, and we, we had to, you know, script it, and I, rem- and I remember the words that we used, which felt so perfect to me, which was, um, you know, with the discovery of 215, this is when it was 215, you know, um, bodies of Indigenous children found at the Kamloops Residential School, um, you know, we Indigenous people watched as the rest of the country caught up with our grief. Exactly. But we weren't shocked, but it was very surreal to like watch it felt like I was in a you know like in a plastic building that was melting around me,
1: yeah, just like
0: you you know as a lot of us did, we just stood there and we watched it all happen around us while we tried to keep our feet under us and not fall apart every five minutes, which was a tall order um and and so I you know out of that we see the Facebook filters, the orange shirts flags at half mass and all of those things are, you know, those are, I think those are good things, but man, nothing feels like enough right now. No, I know. And the rage that is, there was something, like, I've, my dad is a pretty chill dude. You know, he <laughs> he likes to play his guitar and, you know, go fishing and, like, putter in the garage and, and cook me breakfast with way too much butter. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's he's like, he's not a political person, really, and he... I've never heard him talk the way that I heard him talk coming out of that week.
1: Mm. He
0: called me and he was like, I wanted to make sure you're doing okay. And you're not working too hard. And mm. I, and then the things he said to me were just like, I've never heard. He's, you know, he's hurting in ways. I think that we're all hurting in ways that we're still trying to find words to articulate it. But I'm, I'm just glad there. I'm glad people are paying attention Um, I'm glad it's landing, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I had no idea how that week would affect me because, um, yeah, my dad went to residential school. And, you know, I've been on this healing journey since I was young, since I ever found out. Like, 16 years old was when I started finding out more of the truth and the history of even what my father went through. And just hearing, like, you think you heal from something and then you just hear and you have that brought forward again. And you're just like, oh, Maybe I, like, obviously I'm, healing is a lifelong journey, but even that week took me, yeah, that took me for a spin. I had no energy whatsoever to even show up to some places and to articulate my words. Because not only as Indigenous people are we experiencing this in real time, but then some of us are held to a pedestal and put on to voice things for others or to voice what's happening. And I feel like it's sometimes like a constant like re-traumatizing when you're keeping, like, like an actor when you like go to your dark place for that scene. And then it's like, oh, I just had to go back into like that very traumatizing moment I had. And it's just like, yeah, bringing up the same emotions. But I feel like this is kind of what is needed for um, the Canadians right now. And so I'm hoping more Canadians take a stand to not only have our flags at half mass or to be wearing orange shirts, but to actually be doing something to create change within the Canadian like constitution and the government and everything. Like, What do you think is needed for... Um, for our healing process right now.
0: I mean, I think, you know, I think if you're in in I don't know, man, it's just so hard. I just remember when the verdict, like when when the news about Tina Fontaine right after Colton Bushi, when like back a couple of years ago when all of that happened, I just remember there was some there was a, qu- a quick vigil thrown together. Um, I was living in Toronto at the time. And there was a quick vigil thrown together. Black Lives Matter, like ugh, they just did such a good job of like keeping us safe and getting it set up. And it was under the gardener and I just was so mad. And I I, I couldn't figure out what to do with all my anger because I was also at a funeral. Like that's what it felt like that day. That day I was in mourning, I was at a funeral. It was about ceremony and I was just trying to keep my rage under wraps and everyone knew it. Everyone kept coming up to me and being like, this is, you just keep it, keep, keep, keep it chill. Is not the time um, and I remember mm. just being like where is everyone else like where is everyone else right now I'm like we're here but it's all of us and we need each other but we also need that buy in from other people I don't need the news cycle to disappear and yeah. then for this story yeah. to disappear again the num- and why is this not that was one of my dad's biggest things he was like why is this not international news he's like why am I not hearing about this because he watches a lot of American news he's like why am I not hearing about this yeah, and he was so mad, and I was like, I, like, I, I don't know, I don't know, but I think you know, we need the buy-in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Canada, they they don't want to voice it because they would have to take accountability and it's crimes against humanity and they could owe us millions of dollars and everything else for what they've committed against Indigenous people and so I can see, you know, why they are silent um, in this process, but yeah, I hope that I think that's one way what makes it so powerful that we have access to social media and to platforms like podcasts and to um, creating our own and writing our own scripts and I know this is all about the work that you do and you've been doing this for I feel like your entire career and so what really made you want to step into that role of being a writer a host and all the labels that you wear oh
0: (laughs) well being a performer was the first thing that came for me um being a writer was something that took a lot longer and it's something that I talked to other like indigenous youth or youth in general about because I think you know especially if you as an indigenous person going through going through the Canadian education system whether you're on reserve or off um it's not really you're not unless you're fortunate and you know I think some there are some teachers out there definitely who do great work and who encourage but I think you know I was never encouraged I never felt smart I never felt smart in school Mm. I was happy to just get by and get out um so I never had these dreams of being a writer. I never saw that as something that was a, um, a possibility for me. I was just happy to survive um, and to get by and to, you know, not worry about, you know, I don't think a lot of us are taught to dream big. Um, so then when you get to a place, you're like, whoa. Um, yeah. And, and I think those whoa moments are absolutely earned and take that moment because you know again it's that thing we're not supposed to be here we are consistently in a space yeah. of resistance your, exi- your existence is resisting right and when we get into these totally. positions where we actually you know where we get to you know be have some control and have some clout um then yeah take that moment because holy <laughs> i'm like holy heck baby <laughs> do you deserve it
1: right But I, yeah
0: i didn't like i grew up on i grew up on the res and well on the res off the res on the res off the res well my parents you know figured things out or didn't figure things out but you know it, it it there was a lot of moving i didn't really get a chance to feel like i um was good at much like i i knew i loved the arts i loved the arts and then you know i landed in theater school and then after theater school i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do with myself and luckily um I came across Native Earth Performing Arts, which is the oldest Indigenous theatre company in Canada in Toronto, um, turning forty, I think, next year. And it, um, the artistic director at the time was Yvette Nolan, and she, uh, she just took me under her wing. And she, she called me one day, and she said, "We have this young writers program. I think you should write." And I just remember going like, "I can't write. Like, I can't write." <laughs> But I said yes, because I wanted to be an artist. It's funny than... how
1: we limit our, we limit our own potential.
0: We do. And that's like one of the ways that it works, right? So don't let that, don't let it work. Because what we do, I think what so many of us do is storytelling. And that's something that is intrinsic to who we are exactly. as Indigenous people. And that belongs to us. That belongs to us. That is ours. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be great at spelling. You don't have to be great at grammar you have story and that story is inside you however you want to tell that story you tell that story because i mean our stories are so interesting oh
1: yeah i know
0: like we have you've got the best stories everybody's got like you know think about people in your family (laughs) i'm like who tell the best stories (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's
1: that's a part of yeah it's literally in our blood i like how you bring up um that you didn't even know what was like possible and I think that's a really good um, touch point is as Indigenous people because we have a history of yes um, storytelling and all these great things but we got it stripped away and so sometimes we don't realize the potential that we have because it was taken away from us and so I think like dismantling this colonial programming of believing that we aren't enough is like is so essential right now because we are literally being told that throughout the systems. And so that brings me to um, this aspect of decolonization. And so I'm curious to know, like, how would you define decolonization and is decolonization possible in a world that relies heavily on these colonial systems? How would you define it?
0: Oh, I mean, I think it feels like such a big hard scary thing right and I want to think it's possible I want to believe that we can do it I think for me when I think of decolonization I think of like I think of my dad planting his garden I think of my dad tapping maple trees he taps trees every year although he says he's getting pretty tired of doing it um (laughs) I think of you know I I think of the family bonds that I value and then I, and the energy that I, especially as I've gotten older and you know, I, I just realize how, how important my family is and how like that is the strongest bond I think I can make or the strongest step I can make towards decolonization is, is maintaining good and healthy relationship with my family, whether that's like chosen family or kin, you know, totally like th- those relationships feel so important. Um, and always remember, and the thing that I always try to remember this in a space where we are, in, you know, colonization is ongoing. Mm-hmm. We're living, um, we're living in it. We're living through it. That affects all of us every day. And so it's hard to be gracious. Um, it can be hard to be patient.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but the
0: thing that I will always try to think of is like, what would my ancestors, how would they want me to behave? <laughs> and I think. That gives, me, that gives me grounding and it gives me insight because I can just feel, like, even ancestors I haven't met, you know, that I, I didn't know, I just feel like a, you know, like a great-grandparent standing behind me going, like, like why would you talk like that? Or don't act like yeah. that. Yeah. I think, like when, especially when I travel, like, when I travel off the land, when we could travel off the land, like, I'd go over to the UK or whatever, and it was very conflicting for me because I was like, this is where it all happened. Right. This is where the papers were signed. Mm -hmm. This is the start of a lot of demise for indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, but I'm also over there on vacation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or like, you know, I'm traveling. I want to have fun. So what does it mean to be on that land? And how do I and I'm always like, okay, what would my ancestors want me to do? Yeah.
1: Well, you bring up a good perspective, and something that I've been um, very conscious of the last two years in my work is calling forth the wisdom of my ancestors. Uh, even before, like, I do a talk or before I podcast or I call upon like my ancestors for good medicine in a good way. And I think that's something we have as Indigenous people is we're very respectful to the land and the territory we're visiting, and also to the generation before us that like they're they're continuously guiding us. And I think it brings up a good um point of matriarchy and how there's even matriarchs within our own lineages. And so I'm curious how would you define the word matriarch and are there matriarchs that you are currently inspired by?
0: Oh man. I think matriarchs are um women who lead um by example, women who are women with generosity, I think um I think, you know, I'm in a position right now where I I, again, I never thought I'd be here. I, I, it's unreal to me sometimes. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like I, I got here, I mm. got to here, and so I think of women who, you know, like my my mentor, Yvette Nolan, who had to really fight hard and be unlikable sometimes. Like people didn't, mm. people don't like a woman who's strong a lot of the time. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, and. and <laughs>
0: And so I think of like, I think of her, I think of my stepmom who quilts <laughs> uh, and knits and is amazing. Um, and was like one of the first people to tell me I was entitled to my emotions because I never thought that I was. I think about my grandma. Um, I think about my sister. Um, you know, I think about women who, who've led by example, who have had to fight, who've had to push, who aren't necessarily perfect. Mm -hmm. who make mistakes, who own mistakes, who, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not always, you know, as perfect as we want it to be. I think it's incredibly flawed. We're flawed as people. And so to have space to see, like, what is admirable that some people have done, um, and although the whole picture of, like, a person may not be perfect, it might Mm -hmm. not be care bears and rainbows, (laughs) but that work is, you know, that they do is so important all of it
1: yeah well it's like it it humbles you it's like we can't attain this uh perfectionism because that's not realistic and what does it mean to be human and like you're saying when you'd even know you had control over your own emotions and so i think as indigenous women and indigenous people sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by all the work that we're facing we can become burnt out really quickly because all the hats we're wearing and so i'm curious to know what are some practices you have in your life that allow you to reclaim your power and like to stand in your truth regardless
0: therapy (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah i started therapy this year and it has been i am i'm like why didn't i do this before why didn't i do this before i don't know why i waited so long honestly it's been um it's been the best thing for me um So that, that has really, really helped me a lot. I also, um, you know, so I'm Haudenosaunee um, from Six Nations. And so, but I'm not longhouse. We didn't grow up in a longhouse tradition. Um, We went, but we went on like Sundays for breakfast or we went for funerals, you know, like we, we didn't go for ceremony. Um, so we were never really tied to that, and I was never really tied to that, although I am, like, you know, I'm I, I'm interested. But for me, I always felt, like, slightly divorced from it, or, like, it wasn't for me, or I couldn't find my way in, or I wasn't invited. Mm. Um, but for me, what I found, you know, and it took me a long time to find it, is what ceremonial works for me. And, you know, like, Kodoshoni people, we're not a smudging people. A lot of us don't smudge. But it's a practice that I came I came to working in theatre, So it's something that I I have. Um, And also being away this year was really hard. Like, um, you know, I had a family member who passed last year. And Mm. and so I couldn't be there for the one year feast that you do, that we would do. Um, But so instead, what I did is I, I put my own plate out and I, you know, I did my own small thing from away to feel engaged Mm-hmm. and you know like you know we traditionally if you once a person passed you give away all of their things and yeah so I remember I had it was my aunt who passed they they gave me my cousins and my uncle they gave me um some earrings from her and a barrette um and so I I put the plate out I had my food um and then I wore her barrette that day um and I just you know just to I think making ceremony however we need to and whatever it looks like to us um however it has to be I think because it's ours Exactly um and I I don't think I don't think the ancestors would chastise you for trying I think if you if you have to do things in the way that you do then then you do and I I was gifted a dream I was gifted a dream of my aunt that night um I <laughs> I was like I felt so lucky. And then I went home last weekend. It was my first time home um in a long time and I, I got to tell my uncle about it and it was it felt it felt really good to be able to tell him that. I was like, I had a dream. I had a dream about her. And yeah.
1: Well, that's how they, like, communicate with us, too, is through our dreams. And I've mm-hmm. done the same thing, actually, because I wasn't able to go back home because of the pandemic. And so I started doing my own little sacred space, like, ceremonies here in my my room, and I set up, like, a little spot. And, yeah, so it's, like... I think of the same thing. Like our ancestors are like, okay, at least she's putting in the effort, and like she's actually creating, <laughs> carving out time yeah. and space for this. May not be what we've done <laughs> throughout history, but she's trying.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's an it's an active it's an active resistance, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and it kind of. It's, it's a way of like adapting to the surroundings and the environment that you're in. And I think as Indigenous people, we have always been storytellers, but the world is drastically changing around us rapidly, um, even through social media and how we interact with one another. And so this idea of Indigenous Futurism, um, if you could reimagine, you know, Indigenous Futurism, what would it look like in your eyes?
0: Man, it is such an interesting time. Um, it is, it is such a fascinating time with having, um, h- having the ability to create content so quickly, um, and so readily, uh, you know, it, I mean, I know that's not the case for everybody. Lots of Northern communities, uh, don't have internet, right. Yeah. Which is the thing, but for a lot of people who do, there's just so much stuff being created out there. And so much of it is, um, it's what we need to hear. We get to talk to each other in a way that I don't think we've had the ability to to the same degree in any way. I was talking to um, Mike Mitchell who um, from Akwasasne, and he was part of the Indian Film Crew, which was an initiative started by the um, National Film Board in the 60s. It only ran for like two, two or three years. And what it was, it's the first time that the National Film Board gave um indigenous people cam- gave them the ability to be behind the camera instead mm. of being documentary subjects so you know Sweet. not white gays but indigenous people filming indigenous people in stories mm. in telling stories mm-hmm. and so his film you are in indian land which is still shown and is you know it's um it's on the nfb website is still used still taught in schools um and f- when i was talking to him about it we talked about he was like you know now everybody's got got a camera in their pocket like we all like everybody's got a camera in their pocket but back then they didn't have that ability to do that this was the first time that that they could they could document what was going on show the wrongdoings to the world and mm-hmm. share it and so now I think like in this indigenous view I, I feel like we're in it right we're yeah. in it right now yeah. and we get to be I think in a lot of ways we get to be so many different things things that we never got to be there's the space just kind of keeps opening up a little bit more and in different ways. Like the two spirit wasn't a term that was ever, I I didn't learn that until like, you know, probably the the early 2000s. Like, but there was a time when that didn't exist. So I think we're in it and I think it is going to constantly keep shifting and building Mm -hmm. on itself in like awesome and amazing ways. And, you know, like, God for Indigenous TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, we can talk. We can talk to each other. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of things that come with uh, our voices being on social media. And I realize that it puts a lot of pressure on people with a public platform. And so do you think that there is like, I don't know, I don't. Like protocols that we should be following. Should we should we be sharing everything on social media? Like, what? How do you feel about um, our voices being widely shared, but also realizing that maybe there's a sacredness attached to some things? Oof. This is what I've been toying in my mind.
0: This is well. I mean, yeah. I, like when when Kamloops when the Kamloops news broke, I remember being like, I should get off social media. Like, get off social media. But the thing is, I'm like, because I'm in Montreal and I'm not near my family and, you know, I, I know a couple of, I have a couple of Indigenous friends here. um, But it was the easiest way for me to have a community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The easiest way for me to be able to, like, feel like I wasn't alone. Um, And I needed that. And I needed to feel, I needed to feel other rage. Like, I needed to see, I needed to, like, sit in that and be mad with other people and outraged and hurt and mm-hmm. st- and stunned and shell shocked the way that we all were and i needed to know that what i was feeling that i wasn't alone in it you know if totally. i was like in the grocery store and then i would break down crying that you know somebody else was probably lots of other people were doing that too or that like you know or that other indigenous people were being asked really dumb questions from people who should know better Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. don't ask me to do your work for you and i i did i did crack at one point and i, <laughs> I think there was a middle finger emoji used at one point <laughs> uh which trust me was mm, that was light compared to <laughs> what i was feeling in my heart i think we like i do think that social media is can be useful but it can be dangerous and it can be harmful to ourselves and i think the only thing that you know you have to measure What is useful for you and how much of it is useful for you, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and to not feel like and to not measure your worth by it. And like, you know, to not be like, yeah, I haven't posted something in like six days. Like, yeah, 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 I think. Unless it's like, unless you're okay with that, but you got to, you can only measure that, right? Like you're the one who has to measure that in your own heart and you have to take care of yourself. Exactly. But I think there's something valuable in the community. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, social media and the community on there has literally helped me in ways I didn't even know was possible, whether it's through connecting or even like speaking with you. Like that's a power of social media of getting to know one another. And I'm looking forward to the future, but I also realize that there's a lot more conversations that need to happen and we need to be voicing these nuances that we don't get enough time to talk about but I realize that you've been in the biz for like the past few years with your podcast and so I'm curious to know like how did you get that opportunity to start your podcast like what was that work behind the scenes and what would your advice be for someone that is new to all of this an indigenous youth that wants to but doesn't know where to begin
0: Yeah, I mean, my advice is always, you know, because I didn't know what I, a thing that I've always thought of, whatever work I've been doing, whether it's, you know, like a live storytelling event, or whether it's a theater thing, or whatever I'm doing, I've always told myself, like, what am I afraid of? Like, what is the thing I'm afraid of? And then I just sort of run right at it. (laughs) And because I feel like if I'm like, oh, I feel like a bit nervous about that, that's probably the thing that I'm supposed to be addressing.
1: Mm hmm.
0: but I think, you know, like podcasting, I came into it very sideways, mm-hmm. I was in theater. All of a sudden I had a podcast and I have no creden- I have no credentials to be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how I felt with
1: my podcast. <laughs> I was just like,
0: uh like I still, you know, imposter syndrome is strong. But what I've also learned to let go of is that, again, like it's it's story and, you know, like. I'm, I'm still learning a lot about audio work. I know how to write, like I know how to write a script. I know how to research. I know what I'm like, what I'm interested in. Um, I know e- what my ethics are
1: um, mm. as someone who's
0: putting something out into the world and how to negotiate that. Um, and I think, you know, Indigenous, Indigenous youth, I'm like, oh, just make it, just make it, like make it. It's so, it's, it's so easy it's easier than it's ever been to get your voice out into the world and like i don't know i you know i feel like the things that i've seen especially on native tiktok my dad is in love with tiktok he sends me videos all the time um oh my yeah gosh. it's he's he's a complicated he's such an interesting dude <laughs> <That's> like, <awesome. laughs> and he only gets more interesting as he gets older i'm like who are you <laughs> um, but that's like that's like that's a perfect example like you've got these people like you know like who are blowing up who have like millions and millions of followers and and that's cuz we want to hear we want to hear from you we want to hear yeah. from you like and it's not just like we indigenous people people want to hear mm-hmm. from us they want to know our stories they and so do it just like do it if you can if you can like and also reach also reach out to people like the number of people who I always answer like I will like Unless it's, like, on Facebook and it's a bit, like, (laughs) because some of those are, Uh, you know who you are, hey. (laughs) Like, if I don't answer your first hey, I'm not answering your fourth hey. Um, (laughs) Like, what? Has this ever worked for you? But, like, a lot of people will message me, and and I think it's my responsibility as someone who's in my position, um, coming from where I come from, you know, that, to answer those emails, to, like, just to acknowledge that, because... You know, we're not all fighting over the same piece of pie. We're going to share that piece of pie.
1: Yeah, I think that's another conception is like, because of the lack of our voices in these spaces, sometimes it feels like, oh, there's only so much opportunities for X amount of people when it's like, no, the world is changing. And like, our voices are in demand right now. And so what keeps you inspired and motivated when maybe the world feels a little too heavy?
0: Oh, I don't know I feel like my rage <laughs> like I feel like rage was something I've talked to my therapist about like I've talked we've talked a lot about anger and she was like well you know anger is a tool of survival you have to be angry otherwise you would just lie down <laughs>
1: like, so That's I feel true. like my, my rage
0: my rage. it's absolutely true your rage is valid and there's a reason why so many of us feel it and why it's just simmering um yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a valid yeah. and important emotion and, and don't sit in it. Don't, you know, like there are ways of working through it. But once I think what I was doing is I was really trying to push against my anger and stop. Right. It. Yeah, yeah. And what I f- what I found was like, OK, I'm mad. Why am I mad? What is this about? And then I can be like, that's valid. That is a valid feeling and it makes sense that I'm mad. And then I could step on the other side of it and move. It's, it is a valid emotion and I think it's one that a lot of Indigenous people have yeah. and there's damn good reason why we have it. Exactly. It makes, so I think my rage, my rage, my search for justice, I feel like I always want thing, I want a more just world. I want to walk out of this world make, hoping that it feels more just.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think The way to do that is through, for me, educating people, Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people about our history, because our history has been kept from us. And so I think that is a big part. And also making people laugh. I want to just, I want to make people laugh. I want to, Yeah. education and humor. Those are my, those two things just are the core of my work
1: it's the balance you just touched on like anger and joy and also hope for the future. I too used a lot of the anger that I felt as a kid to be a catalyst to like me healing and like using my voice more. But if I didn't um, express that emotion, I think that would have been like, really bad for my health because you really need to get that energy out anger that's another thing i'm also very cautious of me using the word resistance now because i i do believe our existence is resistance but resistance in my body is me not speaking my truth it's me like pushing emotions down and so even the words and how we articulate ourselves um you just mentioned that you one of your goals is to continue education and for indigenous and non-indigenous people and so could you invite a resource or I know you people can listen to your podcast. Where can people find you and maybe start to begin their own education process?
0: Yeah. So the Secret Life of Canada is on Spotify. It's on Apple podcasts. Um, and also the CBC Listen app. Um, I think most of the episodes are there. There's a few episodes from our first season um, when we did it independently um, that uh, because we started out as an independent podcast. We were doing it just sort of not much (laughs) we had a patreon it's very very slim um we did a season that way before we were picked up by cbc um and so you can find it all of the places where you would normally find a podcast um and yeah like i think it it is a good place it's a good place to start learning about some things um some things that will shock you surprise you and also make you think that canadian history isn't as boring as perhaps you were led to believe it's not all about confederation um Mm -hmm. uh, you know lots of other stuff happened interesting things um and so i think that's a good one One of my favorite books is called and it's it's american but it it really was for me in a lot of ways the foundation of this um of the podcast of secret life and that's called lies your lies your teacher told you lies my teacher told me by james lowen so it's a great book that looks at chapters in american um, history books american high school history books and sort of debunks the mythology in it. And specifically mm. the chapter on Columbus, I think it took me like three weeks to read because I could only get through a page before I felt sick to my stomach. Yeah. Um, but I think really understanding like the brutality of of history and reframing it and also questioning the mythology with which you have been fed, uh, question mm. that mythology because it's like, you know, Canadian history, history in general, I think is taught and then those people who graduate go on to be teachers and teach that. And so it becomes this ingrained thing. And when it's challenged, people get scared. They get really scared. But I think invite yourself to be challenged by that. Um, and, you know, invite yourself to be open to other, uh, other perspectives Mm -hmm. and to also recognize (laughs) where you are yeah (laughs) you know like the benefit that you are actively living in like non-indigenous people uh well well, settler people in this country you know i've i've been renovicted off my own damn land like three Mm -hmm. times
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i couldn't live
0: in toronto anymore because i just couldn't i could not i couldn't stand getting renovicted off my own damn land anymore Yeah, and I got a white partner, right? So under the Indian Act, I can't go live at home. Mm
1: -hmm. I think um, you touched on a good point, though, is like a lot of people don't know the true history and they don't know some of the things that happened here in Canadian history and also America. And so just knowing that you're in this together, like we're all on this learning journey of finding out the realities, indigenous, non-indigenous people. And I think, yeah, education is like the first step because then that's how you plant seeds into other people's awareness and conversation consciousness and that's how you shift uh where can people support you for the rest of this year and what are you up to for the rest of the year what are you excited about for
0: 2021 (laughs) um oh boy um let's see so we're wrapping up um we're currently wrapping up unreserved right now Um, And so we're going to go into the summer season, which is just repeats um, from earlier this year, which is great. I really loved the episode we did on fashion. It was sort of my baby. Um, um, Shout out to my fashion episode. Um, And then uh, doing some pre-planning for some podcasts at CBC. So there's a few other things that uh, I'm looking at hosting for podcasting at CBC, which is very exciting. Um, And yeah, I mean, and I want to take a bit of time off because it's been it's been a big it's been a long year i'm ready to i'm ready to like rest and like read a dumb book or something
1: i'm in the same boat i'm in the same (laughs) boat i totally get it uh well thank you so much for joining me here today for sharing a bit of your story resources it's been medicine listening to you and i hope our paths cross in the future um hi hi thank you so much for joining us here today now uh I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at shaylazeroh at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.